Good morning, everyone. I just wanted to uh, kind of in a shotgun approach here, just mention three things to you uh, that are kind of general about the River Church. The first is I really want to encourage you um, to go online. This is actually the, uh, uh, the QR code that you can use. And uh, you take a, a, pho a phone shot of that, and I want you to go online and, uh, and get yourself um, dialed into the River Church. It's really important that when we want to get in hold of you and contact you, pray for you, um, this also helps you to um, stay in touch where we are and what's going on on Sunday mornings because um, we send out a weekly email. It's called The Blurb. Let you know what we're teaching on and where we're going to be and what's happening. So it's just a very short little email, just once a week. So go online. You can always go right to the, our River website and uh, you can connect with us and just fill that out and let us know who you are so that we can uh, put you on that, on that email list distribution. That's it. It's really helpful. So I wanna encourage you to do that. Number two, continue praying for us as a church. We are in pursuit of trying to find and anchor our second service. This, 8.30 service is great. We meet at the beach every week. Our 10.30 service, you know, we've moved from the Norris Theaters down to the Malaga Cove Library, but because of their arrangement with the community and uh, some of their, um, their, their uh, longtime traditions of book sales and things like that and weddings, they're only offering it to us twice a week, or excuse me, twice a month. So we do really need another place to anchor 10.30 to have a children's ministry. In the meantime, we will continue meeting at the Cove and at the beach and provide children's ministry at both locations. We feel that's really important to the church to have a solid children's ministry. And Kathy and April are working diligently to provide that for us as a church. Uh, so we are going to do that until God provides the right location for us. And we are looking at lots of different locations i mean from things to buy to things to rent to things to lease and uh so please be praying for us and let us know if you know of any place that might work for us okay the third thing i want to do is i want to introduce you quickly to a brand new pastor of the river church did you guys all know we just hired a new pastor and we are really really excited taylor jones will you please just come on up here for a minute I wanted to introduce you to our church, Taylor Jones and his wife, Becca, Hallie, and Hudson, the family Jones, and they are from Orange County, and uh, they've just recently moved up and found a home to rent in North Redondo, and uh, Taylor, I want, uh, Taylor is going to be a teaching pastor here at the river as well as a uh, pastor that's gonna help us with lots of different ministries and new venues and ministry, starting new ministries, young adult ministries. So lots of different things. But Taylor, I just wanted you to have a chance to say something to the church and welcome yourself to here, introduce yourself to us. Um, but the first thing I wanna ask you, what's your favorite movie line? M movie line? Yeah. My favorite movie line. Oh, I don't know. There's too many to choose from. Come on, what's your favorite? Uh, what comes to mind? I don't know. Nothing comes to mind. Oh my gosh! Ask me, ask me, ask me a person. I'll give you. I'll give you stuff. All right. Okay. Uh, What's your favorite verse? My favorite verse is Romans five eight. There we go. 
Now we're on to something. Okay. I'm a, pa- I'm a pastor. I'm ready with that one. And what does that verse say? That verse says, uh, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Yeah, he sure did. That's right. And for you. So that's great. Um, so tell us a little bit about you. Uh, yeah, so like Todd said, uh, I, I grew up in Orange County. I've been back and forth between Orange County and L.A. Uh, for my adult life. Uh, thrilled to be here. Todd said, my wife's name is Becca. Uh, she's lovely. Come say hi to her. If you see her around, she'll be at the, the 1030 today. And uh, we have two kids, Hallie and Hudson. We're really excited to be here. We feel like God's hand is all over this, and uh, we can't wait to see what God does. And we're thrilled to be a part of what God's already doing. Come say hi. I'd love to chat. Um, maybe I'll think about a movie line during the service. No, I mean, I'll be paying attention to the, the teaching. That's what I'll be doing. I'm, prayerfully and uh, just reflectively confessing my own sin in the process. But, uh, you know, come say hi. Yeah. yeah. Well, Taylor, it is a true, it truly is a privilege. And you're thinking, why a new pastor? We have youth ministry covered. We've got so many ministries covered. But I think, Taylor, you bring uh, a fresh perspective. You bring new energy. You bring a youthfulness, you bring a vision. I know you and your wife were really praying about coming up to the South Bay for over a year to do ministry. And then we decided to partner together and uh, see where God leads. And I think that's exciting. You really have a heart for here. And uh, you come from a, pa- a pastor's a background in ministry. Your dad's a pastor. Uh, one of my best friends in all of life is your dad. And uh, I've known you my whole life your whole life, not my whole life. And uh, I am really, really proud of you, Taylor. And I just see God using you here. So uh, it really is an honor to have you and you're gonna be used mightily in many, many different ways in our church. So thanks, thanks for being here. Okay, go sit down. And he'll be at the the next service with his family. Hey, this morning, you guys, I wanna just uh, begin with uh, a kind of a new little series, just a mini series. of This is a series that will take four weeks. And it's a series about running the race. We're all committed to running the race. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about running the race. And the scriptures are uh, very, very clear, especially in the New Testament. And yet these are very trying times. And we've experienced a season of very trying times. And even in the midst of that, we need to continue to run the race, don't we? I mean, that's, that's what the Christian life is about. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says that he does run the race, and he runs with this sense of diligence, and he, uh, it says that he buffets his body and makes us a slave so that he might win. He wants to win the race. He wants to win the Christian life race. In Galatians 5, verse 7, he's talking to the to the Galatians, he says, who's, who stopped you from running? I mean, he's asking the question. Something's happened in Galatians. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul himself, at the end of his ministry, the end of his life, says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course God has set out for me. And he gives that, again, the metaphor of the race. But in Hebrews chapter 12, we have one of the clearest explanations in the New Testament of this idea of running the race. And Hebrews is about these urban Christians living in the first century that were growing weary, living in trying times. And the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, 
indicates that they need to continue running the race and will describe how to run that race. And says these words in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside all the encumbrances and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. There, did you know there's been a race that's been set before you? When you think of your faith, think of it in the sense that God has set a race before you. We just had this, you can see, and you look over here to, to my left, your right, the swim of the avenues, and, and that's a race. It is a race. It's a short race, but it's a race. And it's been set out, and the course has been laid out, and the swimmers took off at 8 a.m. this morning. And Paul says there's been, or, or the writer of Hebrews says, there's been a, a race that's been set out for you. But we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against him, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So the writer talks about the Christian life as a race. And how do we run that race? By fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's how you do it. That's how you run. The race that God has set out before for you. That God has set out a race, a journey. It's a journey. It's a life journey. It's a long race. It's, it's the rest of your life. It's a journey. We are all going home. It's a journey home, and that journey home, we are to do one thing, fix our eyes on Jesus. And the question is, how do we do that? How do you fix your eyes on Jesus? See, I can say, just fix your eyes on Jesus. But you go, well, how? How do I do that? I mean, what practically do I do? do, I do? And I want to talk about four things this, over the, next, the course of the four weeks. Four things that you need to do. You need to, number one, you need to anchor your life to something or someone. You gotta, there's got to be an anchor in your life. Something sure, definite, secure, before you can ever set out on a journey. Did you know that? I'm going to show you that this morning. Next week, I'm going to look at the idea that you need a direction. You need a compass. You can't just start on a journey and not know where you're going. You've got to have a direction. Third, you have to have a purpose. There's got to be a purpose behind your journey. And fourth, you got to have a plan that is well executed. A plan. And you need all four. And all four of those describe a journey or a race. Something secure. Direction, purpose, and a plan. And I'm going to show you that. Hebrews chapter 1 and 2 this morning. Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, to, uh, next week, Hebrews chapter 4, the following week, and chapter 5 and 6, the final week. Does that make sense? So that's where we're going. Most of you remember the name Sidney McLaughlin. Sidney McLaughlin, 400-meter finalist in the Olympics in Tokyo. She ran the best race of her life. She won the gold broke the world record 400 meter hurdlist for the women's 
And when Sydney McLaughlin was done, she was interviewed. Did anybody catch that interview? This is an amazing story, a testimony of a woman who has set out to run a greater race. We all run races in our life. We all have journeys. Every one of you has a race to ride, run. And it may be in your work, it may be in your marriage, it may be in some other area of your life, but let me tell you, there is a greater race. And when Cindy McLaughlin was done winning the gold medal, setting the world ref record, she said these things. What I have in Christ is far greater than anything else. It's greater than the gold medal. It's greater than this race. I mean, the world heard a woman, fastest hurdlest in the world, a superstar, proclaim the fact that she found a greater race. I mean, you should read her Instagrams. I mean, I could just go on. I, I have a page of quotes from her, which I can't read this morning. You know, in Saturday's heat of the Olympics, despite a false start, she took off. She was 10 paces down the track when the second gun went off, signaling a false start. And she had to readjust herself mentally. And she said she had to refocus and regroup. She had to focus, refocus, and regroup to run this race. She says, my goals are different now. A lot of my life was trying to prove something which is endless, endless cycles that will never fulfill you. She says, what I have is in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God, even when it doesn't make any sense, even when it doesn't seem possible. He will make a way out of no way. I have seen God uh, I have never seen God fail me in my life. That, you know, that's, that one hit me because I was reading through Psalm 37 this summer where it says, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen God fail the righteous. She found a greater race. And the question for you this morning and, and for the next four weeks is to focus on fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith to run the race, the journey that God has set out. How do you do that? Number one, you need an anchor. Yes, it's a mixed metaphor, but you'll see, you'll understand in a minute. Let me describe where we're going. Let's talk about that anchor. So if you have a Bible in Hebrews chapter one, I'm going to read um, just the very first part of Hebrews chapter one and the first part of Hebrews chapter two, and I'm going to put them together this morning. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets and the portions of many different ways, in these last days, he spoke through his son. So God is trying to speak to us. God is trying to speak to you, and he's been speaking for centuries and centuries through prophets and through angels in these piecemeal way and it says in the final days he speaks through his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the world and he is the radiance glory of his exact representation of his nature and he upholds all things by the word of his power 
We have made purification of sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he inherited a more excellent name than they. And what the writer is saying in terms of ranking importance, in terms of spokes people in the scriptures for God, representatives of God, Jesus is preeminent. There is no greater spokesperson. There is no greater voice. There is no greater way for God to communicate to us than through Jesus. So that's where he starts. And these people that were running the race were beginning to grow weary and the journey seemed too long and they were beginning to get tired. And so the writer begins by saying, hold on to something. You've heard it from the prophets. You've heard it from the angels. You've heard these messages, and God has been sending messages to earth for a long time. And then Jesus came. The most perfect message, representation, voice for God. You get it? Do you hear where he's going? And then he says in chapter 2, For this reason, we must pay more closer attention to what we have heard. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to the words that God is saying through Jesus so that we will not drift away from it. There it is. You need an anchor or you will drift. If you do not have an anchor in your life, you will drift. That's what the writer is saying. Avoid the slow drift of faith. You need to find an anchor that will hold you to the course that God has laid out for you. Or you will have a slow drift. And it happens. That's what the writer is saying. And the writer is suggesting that the anchor of your life would be Jesus and his words representing the full nature of God. So he goes on to say, for if the words spoken through the angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. See, it just literally the fireworks went off. When Jesus spoke, the fireworks went off, signs and wonders, it all came together, and it's the anchor of your faith that keeps you from drifting off course. And so I want to talk just briefly about that. See, a lot of times we think of an anchor, we think of something that's going to hold you back. It's going to hold you. But you got to understand the value and importance of an anchor. An anchor doesn't hold you back. An anchor doesn't drag you. An anchor secures you. And that's what you need. Something secure in your life. So I want to look at three aspects. Identify, 
sat and rely on the anchor of your life. So you got to identify the anchor of your life. I mean, it could be a lot of things. I mean, the text tells us that God spoke in piecemeal through the prophets and angels, but then Jesus came and he became the clear communication of God to humanity. That's what he's saying. It's, a, it's the strongest, most secure, most accurate, most def definitive word from God. What does God say? What does God say about my life? What should I do? What direction should I go? Who should I hang on to? There is a definitive word that comes through Jesus. He is the most worthy anchor in your life. He's the exact representation. God sent Jesus to have a personal relationship with you because when he says he's the exact representation, he literally means he's trying to communicate with you. And the most perfect way that God can communicate with you, have a relationship with you, is this exact representation. That's what the word means. He wants to communicate. He wants a personal relationship with you. And without that, you have no anchor. And without that, you drift. And drifting is dangerous. So you have to identify. It also says here in this passage that he is the radiance of his glory. In other words, it goes back to the Old Testament. When, remember the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud? That the fire at night and the cloud during the day would guide the people of Israel. And when it stopped, they stopped. And when it went, they went. And they had to rely upon it. It was the radiance. It was the, it was the glory of God in their midst. And what the writer is saying, that pillar has become Jesus. The radiance, the glory of God is seen in Jesus. He is that one. God's power, his presence has been brought into the realm of human experience in Jesus. And the emperors of Rome tried to emulate this. They tried so hard to show their radiance with robes of silver reflecting the sun's ray and all sorts of things in order to be proved to be deity. And Jesus is the radiance of God. When you look to Jesus, you see the full picture of God because he is God completely. And it says that he has the nature, the hypostasis, a very, very important word. It says it right here, the nature of God, the exact representation. It's called the hypostatic union, the coming together of the divine and the human in the person of Jesus Christ. For centuries, they debated that one concept out of Hebrews chapter 1, the nature of Jesus. For centuries, 500 bishops came together in the, the Council of Chalcedon to discuss this to come up with the right understanding of Jesus. You know why? Because if you're off on this one thing, you have no anchor and you're adrift and your life will drift out of control. One thing, understanding the true identity of Jesus, that he is the exact reference, the exact substance of God himself, the nature of God. He is both human and he is both divine and he is a worthy anchor in your life. But let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? I mean, really, seriously, this morning, 
Think about that a second while I try to figure out these papers. Here's what I do with that. Jesus is the final word of my life. He's the finality. See, there are a lot of anchors in life. Political positions, public opinion, money, status. Lots of anchors in life that you can try to secure your life to. But you know, we can say this matters and that matters, but let me say something really important. Every once in a while I say something important. And um, my daughter reminds, reminded me of something I said really, really important in a message kind of last year during COVID, and she texted me and quoted me, and I went, wow, she listened. And it was really good. It was profound. But every once in a while I say something really profound, and here's something profound. Kim, you're laughing at me. But here it is. Matters important to us are not ultimate matters. Matters to us, matters important to us are not ultimate matters. You need to find the ultimate matter. The ultimate matter in your life. The ultimate. That's why we have dissension, disunity, dispute, relational breakdown. Issues today concerning topics and matters and discussions that are not ultimate. This one's ultimate. This is the anchor. This is the definitive word of God in your life. And I've learned something about definitive. It comes from relationships. When a, when a person in your life is accepted as, a, as definitive, you're accepting the whole person. Do you ever notice that? It's in a marriage. Can't pick and choose what you love about the other person. I, the older I get living now, we've gone 35 years, I will sit there sometimes and go, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like that, I'd like to remove that from, you know. And then I catch myself thinking, wait a minute. If I am going to have an intimate relationship, an intimate relationship with my wife, you accept the whole package. You love the whole person. The definitive nature of the person determines intimacy in the relationship. You will never have an intimate relationship with Jesus until you accept him definitively as the final word in your life over every area of your life. Does that make sense? That's a big challenge. That's something to think about. So that's number one. You've got to identify the anchor in your life. But second, we've got to move forward because what Paul then does in chapter 2, verse 1, he talks about being careful, being attentive to what Jesus says so that you may not drift. There it is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And in that section of Scripture, he's describing a second idea, and that second idea is you've got to set the anchor. It's one thing to have an anchor. You've got to set it. I learned this. Uh, boating a couple weekends ago, we were up in Arrowhead with um, with some friends and and uh, my buddy who's just a uh, he's got a lot of experience on boats. I threw the anchor down. I dropped the anchor all the way to the bottom. The rope came up. 
I pulled it taut and tied it to the boat, and he says, that'll never hold. Why? Because as the waves move up and down, guess what's going on? The anchor gets lifted off the ground, and every time it gets lifted off the, 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 the bottom of the lake or the ocean, the anchor is no longer holding you. It's not set. Because as the wave pushes or the swell pushes the boat up, the anchor goes with it. Unless you set the anchor properly, it's not going to hold you. And so what the writer is saying is that you've got to set it so that you don't drift. And the way you actually do it is you throw it out, you pull it back, so you, you, you put the boat in reverse, set the anchor, then you set out maybe 20, 30 feet of line so that the anchor is on an angle like this. So as the boat goes up and down, the anchor doesn't get dislodged from the bottom of the lake or the ocean. Does that make sense? So that now the anchor's in the sand or in a rock or whatever, and it's not moving. It's not coming loose. It's the, there's, there's, there's slack in the line that then allows for the change because of where the boat is in the current or the swell. So what the writer says is two things. He says, first of all, you've got to pay careful attention. And he uses this idea that you've got to be exact and focused on one thing. He actually uses it this way, as Tim Keller says, you've got to be obsessed about being obsessed about something. It's, it's almost a double obsession. You've got to be so focused that you're obsessed on this one thing. Pay attention to the Word. Pay attention to the voice of God in your life. That's what he's saying. It's this obsessive awareness so that you don't drift away. The Word is to flow, slip away, to leave its boundaries like a river that comes out of its boundaries, that comes out onto the shore and floods, that causes damage. Does that make sense? It's a, it's a picture of a drift that literally the, the water has now gone somewhere else. And that's true in your life. And it happens. I've seen it over and over again. Be careful. If there's one thing I can say this morning, be careful of the slow drift in the Christian life. What do you do to drift? Nothing. That's all you have to do. Don't do anything. Don't do another thing. Don't do anything. And you will drift. That's what the writer is saying. Just carry on by doing nothing and you will find yourself on a drift in life. But if you want to stop the slow drift, pay careful attention. Become obsessed. And I'm not talking about obsessive-compulsive disorder. I looked at that this morning, and there's a picture of somebody washing their hands too many times. And, you know, we all have probably a little OCD, maybe on certain things. My, my wife says I do, but, and, and it can be destructive, can it? I mean, something that you continue to repeat over and over and over and over again that becomes harmful to you. And it's anxiety, and it, it, it could be 
eating disorder. It could be lots of issues that are deep within us that need to be addressed so that we stop the obsession. But in this case, the writer is talking about an obsession that is keeping you anchored, an obsession on the Word of God. I want to challenge you this morning. We're going to have communion in a minute. I want to challenge you over the next four weeks to be obsessed with God's Word. I mean, really, be obsessed with it. I mean, this, I want you to wake up and say, oh my gosh, this is the most important thing in my life. This is the anchor of my life. I want to be obsessed with it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set out to memorize Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 and 3. Three verses. Therefore. Starts with therefore. Let us consider. Excuse me. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every encumbrance and every, every sin that so eagerly entangles us, and let us run the race that's been set before us with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith. Let's focus on that three verses. Be obsessed with it. Think about it. Write it down. You know how I memorize Scripture? Here's how I memorize Scripture. I take a verse, and I write it on a 3 by 5 card. So I write the whole verse down on a 3 by 5 card. Then I turn the 3 by 5 card over. It's a great way to memorize. You young people, memorize everything you can while you're young, while you have a sharp mind. Everything you can. Why? Because whatever you memorize, you will own. It's yours. Memorize, memorize, memorize. I'm telling you, memorize the scripture. And I turn the card over and I write out <clears throat> and I group them. So I take the first letter of each word and I group them into phrases. And I write the whole verse out with just simply the first letter of each word. The first letter of each word. Therefore, T, since we have... S-W-H, so great a cloud of witness, so S-G-A-C-O-W. And then I write these phrases out, and what it's doing is it's helping your mind focus on the verse, and it's a little shortcut, and then you see the phrases with just the first letter of each word grouped together. You can memorize it so much faster. You're going to own it. Let's own the scriptures. Why? Because when you do that, you're becoming obsessed about something of real value in your life. Oh, there's so much I could say. Nothingness leads to drifting. If you, don't, if you want to drift, then don't. If you want to drift, then don't pay attention. Don't hear a weekly sermon. Don't get connected in grounder groups. Don't join a men's or women's group together. Don't join with other people. Don't get up in the morning. Don't, don't spend any time with God in the Word. Just don't do that. Stop that. Don't do that and I, I'll, you'll drift. You will drift off course and it is dangerous to drift off course. In fact, in the passage, and I got to wrap up, but in the passage, it's really important for us to see this that what we see is that 
it's actually written within the context of the language of being more careful so that we do not drift. The writer is actually referring to a ship that is headed to port. It's headed home. It's on a journey. And the idea is that you can't get there without paying careful attention. You got to set the anchor on something. I mean, really set it, get it firm in your life. That's the only way I know how. It's the only way. Do nothing and you will drift. I see it. I, I know people right now, they're off course. It breaks my heart. It really breaks my heart. Well, how did that person get there? How did they come to that conclusion in life? How did they get so far off track? How did they really come to that conclusion? I'll tell you how they did it. They stopped. They just stopped. They stopped doing everything. And off they went and drifted. And now they find themselves in a place. And it's in, they're, they're, they're in the shoals. They're crashed. They're shipwrecked. As the writer of Timothy says. And the final thing you do is you got to rely on it. You got to rely. Last thing I'm going to say this morning is, you know, you set it, you're anchored, and then you really hang on. You really do because storms are coming. And in Hebrews chapter 2, Paul says these things. The last thing Paul says in this section But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Death, death, death. You're going to see this word come up a lot. For it was fitting for him who are all things through whom all things are come together, bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of our salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, all from one Father, for this reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Therefore, since we, the children, share in the flesh and blood, he himself, like, like also, partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. My goodness. What a statement about the times in which we live. We have never heard so much discussion about death. Death, 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 death. And that's all we've been listening to. And what I read in this passage is that Jesus came and he tasted death for everyone. He shared in sufferings. And through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. <clears throat> Jesus made death powerless. You, rely, you hold on to it. It's a sign of our times. Oh, we are obsessed with death as a culture. Avoiding it. And yet what Jesus did is he took the fear out of death and became our high priest. 
the fear of death, which made us slaves all our lives. You want to live in slavery? You want to live in the fear of death? You want to live in the fear of the unknown, the uncertainty of life? Then don't rely on Jesus. But if you want to be freed from that fear, freed from the power of it, no matter what happens, the anxiety level is high, emotions are high, concern, but yet in the midst of all of it, Jesus has conquered death. He has suffered. He has gone through the storm. You can hold on to that. The storm comes. The fear comes. The uncertainty comes. But you've got an anchor. I know Jesus in my life. I know what he's done. He's holding me firm. Hey, Bill, why don't you set up communion? We're going to do something this morning we haven't done in a long time. Jesus is our anchor because he went to the cross. And this morning we get a chance to, when you're ready, to come forward and receive the cup and the bread. And we've chosen carefully to do this by little individual cups and bread. And so you can take one and come as a family, come with a friend, come alone, and just enjoy some time as we turn the music on, enjoy this beautiful scenery, and remember your anchor. What a beautiful backdrop. Remember that the, the beginning of the journey of your life begins by you securing your life to something definitive. When Jesus went to that cross, despised the shame, took away the fear of death. He took away the fear that occupies our minds. And we are secure no matter what. And today you walk in confidence of Jesus because he's your anchor. So Father, guide us this morning. Thank you, Jesus. We come now to the table and we receive your gift. And as we come, Father, we accept you. Jesus definitively is the final answer in our lives. Anchor us, Father, against the storms. In Jesus' name, amen. So when you're ready, come on. And thanks for joining us this morning. And this is how we end our service. So when you're ready.